Welcome back to Begin Again. This is week two, and I just can't tell you all how thankful I am for your feedback and support and reviews and for subscribing last week. Um, We are one week into this. Our episode with Kim last week just really landed um, with you guys, and I'm so thankful for that. I hope I hope that these episodes, that these conversations always add some sort of value to your life. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing this. And last week's did. It did for me and it did for so many of you. And I'm so thankful for that. So thank you. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for um, for listening. And every subscription on iTunes, every rating, every review helps people find the show, helps these stories reach more people. So thank you for doing that as well. Today, we have a conversation with Mike Walker. Mike is an entrepreneur and a businessman and a photographer and a creative and a creator and a speaker and someone who inspires me with his success and also his lack of fear around losing it. I think that's why, that definitely is why I wanted to have him on the show. He's a person who has started a lot of things and has, as he'll describe it, jumped off of the cliff being an entrepreneur a lot of times. And his relationship to fear is fascinating to me because he, I don't know, he's just, when I, when I look at his experience, he's just, he's not afraid of much, you know, he's hit rock bottom and he's climbed back up, clawed his way back up again multiple times. And that, that teaches a person and that gives, that gives us a depth that you don't really experience unless you've hit the bottom like that. And and Walker opens up about that today in, in business and in his personal life. Um, he has experienced a lot. And for those of you who are speakers or creators or entrepreneurs, he gives also some really practical advice on how to move forward, how to launch your career, how to move into next next steps and next phases. And um, so anyways, you'll, you'll hear all of that. I want to I wanna let you get right into it, so I'll stop rambling. But he is a fascinating person, and I'm hopeful that this episode as well will add value to your life. Uh, we recorded this episode in Manhattan, New York, where he lives. I am currently in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and I'll be doing some interviews out here this week. If you're new to the podcast, you can also find us on Instagram at beginagainpod. I'm posting pictures of guests, pictures from these conversations, and also pictures on the road as I meet and interview and get to know people who are living adventurous, curious, resilient lives. So check us out on Instagram, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, leave a review, that's all helpful. And uh, without any more chatter, I'll get right into this incredible conversation with the ever-inspiring Mike Walker. Y'all enjoy. Well, hey there, Mike Walker. Hey, how you doing, Darren? I'm doing good. We are, um, for those of you guys listening, thanks for joining. We are in Mike Walker's Manhattan apartment. We're about a block away from Central Park. It's been a good week. I've been hanging out up here with Mike for, well, in his place for like the last 10 days or so. Mike was doing some business and traveling, and uh, I invited myself up to stay in his place <laughs> like you do. And um, yeah, I'm excited to talk with him. He's I wanted to bring Mike on because he's a person who has had a lot of different types of business experiences and projects, and I know that there's lots of entrepreneurs listening who could benefit from his wisdom so i'm really excited that you're here mike yeah thanks for having me this is uh 
it's a cold week in New York, so this is a perfect opportunity to do something inside. And it is that. Basically talk about a little business and talk about, you know, reformation. and. Yes, you've done that. You've done how, it. It is yes. in the seven years that I've known you. You've re- reformed a few times. I have a, a few. Yeah. Yes, So I'm excited times. to get into that. Right now, yeah. Walker is the, um, what would we call you? The owner, the CEO? Yeah, I'm the owner and president of uh, the Real Estate Negotiation Institute, which is a professional negotiation training company. We focus specifically on the real estate industry, um, you know, basically dishing out two-day negotiation intensives all over the country and uh, helping real estate professionals basically be able to represent their clients in a better manner and, and get better results. So how did you get to the place where you were the president of this real estate negotiations company? How did that happen? I think the short of it was I, I started as a speaker just really looking for a way to bring a value-add type of uh I guess involvement to the company, and eight years later, um, after expanding us, you know, to a national basis and and opening up fifteen plus states for the institute, you know, the opportunity was presented to basically purchase the company from the founder, and he wanted to retire, and the deal just happened to be right. So uh, it's it's now my company, and it's been it's it's been a really 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 interesting journey. And learning experience because this is the first time I've bought a business that had been currently uh, designed and up and running that I'd been involved with prior. Um, so it's it's been it's been exciting and also at the same time challenging. Yeah. So you started with this company eight years ago as a speaker. Um, I think probably there are a lot of people listening to this project to this podcast who are speakers who have content that they want to deliver uh what would you say to someone who's developing content and writing and they want to get on stage and they want to present to people what what do they need to do to get traction and momentum what did you do what was that like for you to go from hey i have this idea or how did you start did you have an idea did you know about this company yeah no no that's a great question i think from a speaker standpoint you know and i get this question a lot how do i get going as a speaker too many people spend so much time designing their content, refining their content, and they never get their content in front of anybody. Um, I started with a very small stage. I took something that I that I knew about, which was real estate as a business, and I started a little club called the Rookie Club. Um, okay, at a, so at for a those local of you listening, he started with something that he knew about. That's right. Yes, <laughs> he started with something that he knew about, and he made a club. I think that's important. Start right where you are. Sorry yep. to cut you off. No, no, no. That's no. Just very, that very simple. Gloss over. And I think that's a great point. Like, start with something that's simple. Start with something that you know. It makes speaking incredibly easy. You can be passionate about it, and you can go into depth. The more simple it is, the more in depth you can go into. Um, and I just started, you know, speaking in front of twenty to forty people, and you know, it became a monthly thing. And then from there, you know, started to look at classroom type events, like what could I actually teach that might, you know, be passionate. And um, that kind of, you know, turned into a chain reaction of, of then maybe a stage here, a stage there, you know, a keynote here, a keynote there. And I was just kind of writing my way. Anytime I would have an opportunity, I was writing new content. And then uh, eventually I started to find content that really, that I connected with. And, and it was all in this space of real estate. Um, most of this was real estate. I mean, yeah. I had been around the world of, uh, of entrepreneurial business since I was, you know, in my young teens. I started my first waste management company when I was 11. Um, it was a small recycling business in my, in my neighborhood. Wait a minute. You started a waste management company when you were 11 years old? I had 11 years old. I don't know you and I have ever talked about Please that. Please um, tell me about that. You know, I, I used to sit 
uh, on my parents' front porch, and I used to watch the ice cream truck go up and down the street. And I was always fascinated by the the factor that you know you could just drive around and collect money. That's that's what I saw this person doing was just <laughs> driving around collecting money. And I was like, well, how could I just drive around and collect money? So. You know, my parents, they, they recycled, and it was back in the day where you had to take your recyclings down to, you know, the, the grocery store, uh-huh. and you would put your plastics and your glass and everything into different machines, and it would kick out a little money for you, yeah. you know, so I used to do that, and I would get the, the change, and I would save the change, and then one day, my neighbor, my parents' neighbor asked if I wanted to take theirs down, they said I could keep the money. Ah, uh, so, Couple, yeah, a couple weekends later, I started going like you know to a couple neighbors' place, and and I would be like, "Do you guys have any recyclables?" And you know, I, I'll just take it down, you know, and I'll I'll keep the money. And then eventually, it got to the point where I was just going door to door, up and down the uh, the entire neighborhood, and I created kind of a client list, and then I would actually charge them a dollar twenty five. Come on, to take their recycling. Your old brain. <laughs> I mean, you know, Hustling. you're making forty dollars. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Um, no, but it was, you know, I've, I've had everything from commercial cleaning franchises to photography studios, you know, various companies, salons, uh, real estate companies, development companies, you know, a lot of my, my activity has been in or around the actual real estate realm, but I've done a lot of consulting for a lot of different businesses. So, you know, for me, finding something to talk about was not, was not the difficult part. It was finding the stages. Yes. And, uh. There was something that I learned pretty early. That, that I really came up with the aspect that you needed four things. Four things. Four you guys things. ready? I'm going to give you two seconds to get a pen and write this down. <laughs> There's going to be four, four, things. four things that you need to, to really get a speaking career off the actual ground. Um, the, the very first one is you obviously need some form of content. So that, that can be yours. It can be something that you write. It can be something that you borrow. It can be something that you license. Um, Pick a topic, though, that you're going to be passionate about. You need, obviously, a way to communicate that particular um, content to people. So you're going to need a location. Some people choose the internet as their location, as their speaking location. But the location is important. I don't want people to think that that, you know, is just a secondary element. Finding the right location can make or break an event. I have been amazed, by the way... Uh, you talked about the internet being someone's location. Mm-hmm. At how many people are doing this on YouTube? Absolutely. Right now? You know, YouTube. I have no idea. Facebook Lives, especially because you know it, it ends up given a recording and it sits there. It becomes content. They can upload that even afterwards to YouTube. Yeah. It's a very interesting, you know, environment right now as far as the stage part yeah. or the location part of this. I think the hardest thing for most people in regards to their struggle, though, is communicating. The in-between. So number three is basically some sort of mechanism to commute to your art, to communicate to your audience where you're going to be delivering this content and at what date. You know, we yeah, would talk about that as like that a, an announcement of marketing type platform. And I think number four is is the solution. It is it is literally the magic key. It is the one thing that most people struggle with, and that is leverage. If someone comes and attends this event whether it's in person, whether it's live, what do they get if they don't like you? If they end up, you know, hating the 15, 20 minutes, hour of their life they spend with you, what do they get to take away that's still a value, a perceived value? We consider that, you know, the the leverage element. So, you know, in certain professional environments, when I look at like, for instance, real estate, the content was pretty simple. 
you know, it was it was negotiation platform, learn the actual content, license it from this institute when I first discovered it. And, you know, I had the content piece. It was solid content. You know, it, it had a great platform, uh, Harvard, Northwestern, Wharton, you know, all the different types of high-end names that you would think about in education. All of this was contributing, you know, documentation for this platform. So I had the content. And the credibility. And, and the credibility, yeah. You, you, you had a lot of backing when it came to the, the content itself as far as just what we would be speaking about. So that part was great. Number two was the locations. You know, when I first discovered the Institute, they did not have a process of locations. They waited for companies to call them. Um, ah, that's where so many of us are. So many who yes. are entrepreneurs or we're waiting. speakers, we're waiting for people to come beg us for our content. Or we're, we're putting ourselves out there to different speaker bureaus and we're waiting for them to book us. We're waiting for them to, you know, call us up and say, hey, we landed you a gig and right. we're going to share the compensation. You know, I never wanted to be that. So I just decided I'm going to pick a location. So, you know, I think one of my first events I did was in uh, Austin, Texas. I... I literally picked a location. Um, How did you figure on Austin? Did you just did you know somebody there? Was, I, was it a good real estate area? Did you throw an arrow I, at a map? I honestly just threw an arrow at a map. Nice. I was like, okay, you know, this this is a similar marketplace to Denver as far as demographics. It's where I was living at the time, and I just decided, okay, I'm going to pick a location. I picked a uh, a hotel um, in which. Uh, in an area that I felt like was residential, like, you know, very easy for people to get to. And this was all based on just looking at a community map. And at that point, we didn't have, you know, any sort of marketing platform. So I just said, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to find a bunch of email addresses. And I'm going to just send out some email announcements to everybody that, you know, I could find that was in that region. It was a small yeah. list. It definitely was a cold list. And then I started to call, you know, a couple businesses that were real estate driven. So like title companies, mortgage brokerages. And uh, I just literally got on the phones. I just started telling people about, you know, this event that I was going to be holding. It was going to be a public seminar, you know, at this particular location. The, the hotel was, was in my opinion, extremely inexpensive. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, for the two days, it cost me about 450 bucks. And specifically, your audience is realtors. This, was, or this one was in... specifically to realtors, okay. yeah. And, uh, you know, so I had, I had three of the compartments. I had the way I was going to communicate to people that this event was happening. I had a location that I just picked out of the blue. Um, I had the content and then I needed the leverage piece. And so the leverage piece in this particular case came down to professional continuing education credit. And I was able to figure out how to file the actual content as a approved course with the state of Texas. And uh, basically just launched it from there. It was one of those situations where the Institute had already had some, some background in, in getting courses approved. Mm -hmm. So we, uh, we had some outlines. I kind of knew the process. And, you know, at the end of the day, when you announce that there's going to be a certain number of continuing education credit hours, you know, at a certain price, people are going to come just because they need the hours. Because they have to have it. Absolutely. So the leverage piece was there. And, you know, that was kind of the start. Um, I'll tell you, though, what people really undervalue today is they undervalue the actual stage itself. And when we look as speakers at the stage, so many of us are focused on what is what is going to be my stage fee. And there's a, a little algorithm that we look at out there called SVI. Mm -hmm. And SVI from the speaker's world uh, refers to stage value indicator. And it's basically a way to look at what is the value of the stage for a speaker. 
And uh, the way I always look at it is, okay, so there's there's obviously the stage fee. I right. mean, that may be $1,000, that may be $10,000. It's just a part of what the compensation looks like. And once you look at the, okay, if I get on stage, mm-hmm. who are, who's my audience? Are these individuals that are going to buy? Do I have another product? Is, there, is this going to book an event from an event? Yes. Um, I should be able to begin to track my percentage of closings. I should be able to track how much money I make from that event. Yeah. And I think for a lot of speakers, it begins to show them why, in certain cases, it is actually worth their money to pay to be on a stage. And, and that's it. for those of you that are listening out there, there is going to be a huge shift in regards to public speaking over the next five years. You're going to see as people have begun to monetize their online presence, monetize their different products and services, the stages, the live stages will actually become a form of revenue for the companies that are putting on these events. They will no longer need to pay the speaker. In fact, it will be the opposite. The speaker will begin to pay for the audience because that value indicator is going to be driven up so much. But you got to have good products. That's a little bit further into the development of a of a speaker's platform. But it's something that I think a lot of people undervalue. They're always looking for pay me to be there. Right. And at the end of the day, it's justifiably beneficial to actually sometimes pay to be there on your side. And the key there is the the leverage. Yeah, it's 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 what that event itself will propel you to do. The, yeah. the relationships. If you know that you're going to just kill it on stage, and and the only thing that you've been seeking is getting your name out there, then then it doesn't make any sense to be waiting to get paid to be on a stage. You have no presence. No one knows you yet. Yeah. You know, however you can get in front of people, yeah. that is what you should be trying to do right now. Absolutely. So that I feel like I feel like we just had a tiny fifteen minute business seminar for yeah, we just did a little we, bit, and we could close it, but we're not going to because here's what I want to know. In addition to the fascinating business part of this, um, you have you've got this career. You are the president of this real estate negotiation company. You've built all of this working since you were 11 years old, building a waste management company, right? You've built up this life. Um, you must have just never dropped the ball or failed or done anything wrong, right? <laughs> See, and, and Darren knows me, so she knows this is BS, but um, I failed so many times. It's it's not, it, it literally is no longer funny. Um, it's one of those situations where, you know, failure just became a part of, of my life. I had to accept the fact that failure was going to be there and that uh, I had to make a choice as an entrepreneur. You know, I think that there are, there are true entrepreneurs out there and I want to make a distinguishment. This is not to discredit anybody for their hard work or the risks they take in life, but there's a huge difference between an entrepreneur and someone who is self-employed. Um, self-employed individuals, you know, they work hard and, and I was self-employed for a long time um, typically they work, you know, as, as independent for themselves, but they're doing something that already has some sort of proof or track record. And as an entrepreneur, what you're basically doing is you are jumping off a cliff without a plan and you're confident enough though, that on the way down, as you're falling, you will figure out a way to fly. That is the that's best good. way for me to sum it up. Damn, Mike Walker, that's good. So it's one of those... there's not often a formula or a playbook for an entrepreneur. No, there's not. I mean, we've got a lot of forums out there that are built for business owners and people that are, you know, trying to create something in different, you know, uh, mind networks. And um, I mean, there's a lot of places for entrepreneurs to plug in. Yeah. But 
it's a decision. And at a certain stage, there becomes enough pain for many people to not make that decision. You know, I've lost everything a couple times, more than once. Um, and when you when you think about it, it doesn't sound that scary because we've been we've been desensitized to everything from from being online. So we've heard about people yeah. losing everything, and it's kind of like, oh, that's not that's not a big deal. But it's a big deal when you have yeah. no money in your bank account. When you go from seven figures in your bank account to nothing in the bank account. When you walk out of the grocery store filled with groceries and your car has been repossessed, when you've got, you know, IRS investigation, FBI involved in certain things, you know, not from a scary criminal aspect, but from financial detriments. Yeah. Your family doesn't love that. No. You know, your social sphere doesn't always understand that. And your loved ones definitely don't know if they're okay with that. So... I think there's a lot of situations that people think, oh, I'd be fine with that. But you won't know until you're faced with the decision. And that decision is, is do you continue this lifestyle? Do yeah. you continue the journey that you, that you spend so many hours, so many, you know, so much energy tracing and saying, I'm going to create something that's different because that's a part of me. Or do I give in and do I go back to something that's that's still maybe self-employed, but that's a little bit more safe? Mm-hmm. You know, there are several times where I've considered going back into real estate just as a real estate broker. It was it would have been a lot more simple. Yeah. Um, but for me, it, it's just been a part of my DNA. And it, to it's jump off the cliff again. Just to continue to jump and know yeah. that, you know what, sometimes I don't figure it out before I hit the ground. Yeah. Um, and that it hurts every yeah. single time. It doesn't hurt any less. It doesn't become easier. I want everybody to know that. Um, it's not like, you know, when, when you lose money, it, it hurts no matter what. It doesn't matter if it's your first time or your hundredth time. It sucks to lose money. Um, but you got to choose to reclimb the mountain. Or the way I look at it, or, or my last 100 jumps of failure, I, w- I wasted if I never get the jump that was successful. So... You know, I, I've I've been lucky that I've had a couple jumps that have been successful, and I've gotten a taste of what that feels like, and it's it's energetic, but it's uh it, it's literally a choice. It's a choice that you make consciously, um, sometimes on a daily basis. Of I'm going to choose into this today. I don't know the answer, but I'm confident enough in myself that I will figure it out. Yeah. I've heard that said about marriage, <laughs> that you wake Absolutely. up and you make a choice every single day. I'm going to be with this person today. Yes, there are definitely days. So, I mean, uh, you know, I know firsthand I was I was married for 13 years. Um, I, I, you know, married basically my college sweetheart. And we mm-hmm. were together for 17. And, you know, there were definitely days. And I'm sure she would say the exact same thing, especially after the things I've just spoken about. <laughs> you know, she, uh, she definitely had to choose in. And I had to choose in. Yeah. And... You know, I think the greatest thing about learning learning about your ability to choose is that you also realize you can choose out. Yeah. And there's, I mean, my gosh, nothing in the world wrong with, with choosing out, with opting out. Um, I have lots of friends who have a salary and benefits. Absolutely. And I am jealous of that every day. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but there's something about it being written into your DNA that you have to keep jumping. And I... I think that that's an important thing to understand because there's a lot of glamour around that. There's a lot of glamour and uh, it seems very sexy to be an entrepreneur. But um, those are always in the moments where you're flying, not when you're face down on the concrete because you, your, your plan didn't work. Yeah, nobody, nobody's, you know, you know, posting on Twitter or, 
you know, hitting up a picture of IG of, you know, the, the, the company just rolling off with their car being repossessed or... That does not make it to the news feed. No, that does not. No, Nobody's going live in the middle of their argument when everybody's crying and, and mad and yeah. upset and the deck the debt collectors are calling and wondering how you're going to pay and the electricity goes out so you're lighting candles and... It's definitely something that is not for, you know, everyone. And yeah. I'm not saying that there aren't different levels of this. You know, sure. I, I've learned not from, you know, education. I've learned just from, from literally doing um, and being versus studying or preparing. Um, that's mm. not always the right way, but I'm, I'm not I'm not as patient as some. Um, I've never been one that, that was, a, was a ready, set person. I was more of a go, set, ready type person. So for me, action pretty much solves every problem I've ever faced. Yeah. And I know that when I make a choice and I choose a direction, um, no matter what, I feel great about it. And it's not always the right choice, but I realized in the moment that I had other alternatives, but nothing is better than just moving forward and making a choice. It's, It's a very empowering aspect. Have you had to get to the point that you can just make the choice? I know that a lot of people get stuck in that they're looking at three or maybe 300 different options and they're not quite sure which one is the right one. How do you, how do you just make the choice? Is there for you personally in, cause you're an expert on your story here. Uh, do you do a lot of analysis before you have to make a choice like that? Or do you find yourself just, just, you just go with your gut. Or I mean, where, where do you, how do you walk that line? I will say, you know, there, there's that, there's that growing up period where, uh, I really fought the element for a long, long time. I always wanted to have, you know, a dozen things in the hopper, learn a million different things. Uh, what do they call it? You know, something about, you know, being great at, you know, a million things, but master of none. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that there is a balance. I, I think both of those comments come from an extreme. There are definitely people that yeah. feel like focus on one thing and be the best in the world at that one thing and that that is a pathway to success. And I believe that. But at the same thing, it doesn't really teach you much versatility. Um, yeah. And I've spent a lot of my career learning versatility. Uh, the unfortunate thing about that is that, you know, I, I am not a master of just one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm very good at multiple things. Yeah. And I think most of the time the truth or the goodness or, you know, the success lies in between the two extremes, right? You find that sweet spot in the middle that's kind of a range and you might be more one way and more the other way in a time in your life. But most people are going to fall in between those two points. Yeah. And, and the one thing that I can say I, I really have mastered is 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 making a decision. Um, I don't I don't get caught too much now in in thought or is this going to be the right thing or the wrong thing or I know how quickly I can start something and shut it down. Yeah. I made a count a couple uh, a couple years ago. I looked back at all the business ideas and how many things I had filed or opened as far as LLCs or S-Corps, et cetera. Yeah, I and I, it was up in the 30s, like really? 30 businesses that I had started based on ideas. And that was countless dozens and dozens of company ideas that I never started. Right. But I realized very quickly how quickly I could start something, how much fun it would be, and how quickly I could just shut it down and change gears. And I got good at that. Um, the problem was it was always really exciting to start something that's fresh. And then, you know, you got to get that robot to, to start to work for you. Yeah. And uh, that's not always the easiest thing. And so sometimes that would get boring and I would realize, okay, this is not the business that I wanted to be sacrificing my time with. Right, right. It was great when it was fun to be spending my time. But as soon as I've got to sacrifice something, yes. I'm out. So I would shut it Difference. down. But I'll tell you what, it's... 
it's all back and forth. If you're not loving what you're doing, stop doing it. Um, if, if it, and that means all the way down to the jobs. Nothing from a repercussion standpoint is worth spending another second doing something you don't like. I can guarantee you that for everyone that is listening, it does not matter if you've got 12 kids, you don't know where your next meal is going to come from. If you are working a job that does not light up your day, the damage you are doing to the rest of your world, to the people around you, to the kids that you're going home to, it is not worth that dollar you are making. Quit it, move, switch. We're going to church now, y'all. That is an interesting... (laughs) perspective you you said that it's not worth the damage that you're doing to the rest of your world and i think a lot of times when we have this conversation about um doing the things that we love and going on going on that or whatever it is life adventure mm-hmm. starting the job starting the new job starting the company creating the thing um it's a very inwardly focused discussion but what you just said was that you are doing damage not just to yourself but to the people around you if you spend 90% of your life which is where how much time you spend working or thinking about work if that much time of your life life and mental space and emotional space is taken up by something that makes you miserable yep. then everything around you will be affected by that absolutely and i think the biggest victims of that are parents yeah. Um, oh, there's a lot know. of guilt. And that's coming from two people who aren't parents, but intentionally at this point. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's and, and a I, lot of pressure and guilt and shame for a parent to do something that they love, which would, re- if it would require sacrificing that stability. Yeah. And I think that, you know, parents out there, if you're listening, it's something that, you know, there's a lot of stories that you tell yourself in regards to sacrifice. And I realize that. The love and the sacrifice that you're willing to put forth for your child is unlike anything that's out there. Um, the sacrifices, however, that you make aren't necessarily sacrifices that that child is a asking for because they're too they're too young they're they're too youthful to understand what they need. It's also not necessarily things that are beneficial. Um, it may feel like that way. It may feel like the responsible thing thing to do financially is to you know work a job because it makes ends meet. And I'm not saying that you should go from, you know, a crappy job to no job. But what I'm saying is that if you are in a dead end job, if you are in something that is sucking your life away, yes, you might be putting food on the table. But when you come home, your energy is not the same. It is not what that child needs when they do have time with you. It's, It's as bad of them having to worry about where is food coming from, which, by the way, the reality for most people is that they are way, 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 way far away from actually having no money or no options than they really think that they are. Yeah. You know, the fear of being broke is not necessarily broke. When you are broke, you start to realize that there are levels of broke. Yeah. And that I'm at the top floor of broke when I first thought I was broke. Yeah. So, you know, you find solutions, you cut corners, you start to live more thriftily. There are so many benefits. You start to have fun because you can't afford the materialistic things. You start to go back to have fun because you're a human. You start to enjoy walks. You start to enjoy the parks. You start to enjoy making stuff out of things that you've already owned for years because you have to reuse a toy. I mean, there's a lot of good that comes from just going out out of your comfort zone and getting out of the job and starting something new. Get creative. Um, it will. It will. I feel like that. That has to generate. That creativity has to generate momentum and has to continue to make momentum because we're not. We're not disintegrated people. We're not disintegrated beings. So if you are, 
if you are in a space where you have to be more creative in one area in your life, that that has to generate more creativity and momentum in all the other areas of your life too, right? You're Absolutely, not, you're I love not that. Compartmentalized like a cafeteria tray. <laughs> no, and it's it, I think that's such a great analogy though. It's it's that element of like you know, you know, be free to to have fun, dabble in something. I mean, at least take the risk and say, okay, I'm going to do something. I, you know, if you've always you know desired to to have a pizza shop, like. Make a pizza, freeze it, and see how many people would buy it, you know, or start to sell slices or start to bring it to different parties. Like, start to get your product out there. It doesn't mean you got to quit your job tomorrow and, you know, look for a, a way to borrow money and start a pizza franchise. I mean, don't get me wrong. That is available. You definitely could quit a job on one day and within a week have a franchise that you own that you're ready to go and be paid, but it does take experience to get that done and to leverage that kind of capital. Um, but it, for me, it's always been people look at, there's two, there's two aspects I get questions about all the time. Number one, Mike, how do I get going? And number two, you know, what's more important, my idea, like of how I'm going to get going, my plan or, or just the aspect that I want to get going. And I will say that it is hands down 100% to zero in regards to the decision here. It is all intention. The mechanism of how you're going to do it does not matter. It is 100% intention, 0% mechanism. Um, if your intention outweighs everything else that's in front of you, there will be so many mechanisms that come your way. It will not even be a, uh, it's never an issue. Yeah. Intention is the only thing you need. But for some people, that why has to get pretty strong. And for some people, they have to really, really hit the bottom before they're, they're willing to grasp that, that element to get, to get serious about it. Um, your why, that's something, uh, when Mike and I met because we were both speaking for the same nonprofit organization for a little while. And that was something that we came back to all the time in our training and our conversations, whether we were at the office or in a hotel room at the end of the day after doing presentations, what is your why? Why do you show up? Why do you do the work? Why do you do the work that you do? Why do you show up? Um, how, how important is that, is coming back to that? And how often do you personally circle back to that intention, that why? Is that something that's daily present for you? And do you have do you have practices? Like some people say off affirmations, some people meditate. Do you have practices? What does that look like in your life, coming back to your intention, your why? I mean, it, it changes quite a bit. Um, you know, I've gone through years where the mechanisms have been affirmations or, you know, positive energy. I, I still do vision boards. I did one a few months ago. Um you know, so there are definitely exercises that I've gotten in the habit mm-hmm. of, of doing that, that definitely stimulate the mind and, and kind of continue to propel through some of those darker, you know, times. But I think that, you know, for me, the why is more about what is the reason that what is the reason that will force me to get up and keep moving when my situation, my current living, my current materials, my current value, my current business is not doing that. Hmm, um, that's good. You know, I, I remember uh, a great story, a great speaker too. Um, gosh, I'm going to lose his name right this second. Eric, uh, oh boy. I'll remember it here in a minute. But but he does this thing online and, and anyone who's listening, you can actually look this up. It's Just look up Success Guru or look up the Preacher Success Guru and uh, he talks about your why. And he talks about how strong a why is and, and, and how strong it has to get for someone to be successful. 
And I'm going to kind of butcher this story because I don't do it as good as he does. But he talks about the fact that if you really wanted to be successful, what would be the steps that you would go through? And, um, you know, there's these two kids are talking about, you know, success. And the one kid says, you know, I, I want to be successful. And the, the kid, his friend says, well, then maybe you should go get yourself like this success guru and, and he'll help you become successful. So he goes out and, and he finds, you know, this older gentleman who had been really, really successful. Uh, by the way, the, the guy's name is Eric Thomas. Um, is. Amazing speaker. Uh, awesome content. Give him a plug here. But he talks about, you know, this guru and the guru says, well, you're not ready to be successful. He says this to the young man. The young man says, no, 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 I, I really am. I'm, I'm ready to be successful. What do I need to do? I'll do anything. He said, you'll do anything? He said, I'll do anything. He said, all right, meet me down at the shoreline. Meet me down at the beach at four in the morning. Kid's like, okay, like that doesn't make a lot of sense. I said I wanted to be successful. I didn't say I wanted to go swimming, right? So... But, you know, this kid was excited, so he gets up real early, he puts on a suit, and he gets down to the beach, 4 a.m., ready to, you know, go to work. And the old man's there, and he says, all right, I'm ready to be successful. What do I need to do? And the old man says, I want you to walk out into the water. And the young man's like, excuse me? He said, yeah, I want you to walk out into the water. I want you to walk out, you know, about waist high. So the kid walks out kind of, you know, feeling like a little bit weird because he wore a suit. should have wore swim trunks. Um... And he walks out into the water and, you know, he's feeling kind of weird about it. And he starts to kind of walk back. And the guru says, whoa, 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 wait a second. Where are you going? I thought you wanted to be successful. I want you to walk out farther. So the young man, like, walks a little bit farther out. Now he's about waist deep in the, in the ocean. He's thinking this is kind of stupid. And the, the guru says, nope, keep going. Go farther. And so this young man continues to walk out to the point where he's almost, you know, the water is right up to his chin line. I mean, he can barely stand the waves are pushing. It's kind of coming over his chin and he's, he's just barely sitting there. He's got the suit on. And the guru walks out into the water with him and the, the kid says, well, what do I do next? And the guru grabs him by the head and he holds him underwater. And this kid, you know, he's, he's underwater. And as he starts to lose breath, he starts to thrash and he starts to try like he panics and he begins to like really fight. And the guru is just holding him underwater and to the point where this young man almost passes out. And just before the, the young man loses breath, the guru pulls him back out of the water and, and basically carries him all the way back to the beach line and just lays him down onto the beach. And this young man looks up and he says, well, why'd you do that? And the guru said, I have one question for you. When you were underwater, what did you want more than anything in the entire world? And the young man said, all I wanted to do was breathe. And the guru said, when you want success as much as you want to breathe, you'll have it. And the point on this particular story and what I, the reason I love it so much is that so many people say that they want to be successful, but, but they don't want it bad. They just kind of want it. Yeah. You know, they don't want it as much as they want to breathe. They aren't willing to jump through the hoops to, to suffer, to have the pain, to experience all the things. If your life depended on it, would you not make that phone call? Would you tell yourself the story of, oh, that person's not going to answer. Or I'm not prepared to call the person that I need to call to take my next step. You know, if your life depended on it, would you not spend the extra hundred dollars that's in your account, the, the, the extra thousand dollars in your account? Would you say, well, I need that for savings. I need that for a rainy day. If your life depended on it, would you still be at that job? Because until your why is as big as your life depends on it, it's not a why that's going to carry you to the top. And that was what I learned at a really young age. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Mike Walker. I'm just going to pause for a moment and let you guys soak that in while I soak that in. <laughs> um, what is it in the moments of uh, uncertainty or when your circumstances you talked about, when your situation isn't what you want it to be, isn't propelling you to the top or, or whatever the case may be. What do you, what is your interior life? And here's what I mean by that. What do you do to keep going? And more than just to keep going, what do you do to, to recharge? What is your, some people call it self-care, but um, I don't think, I don't think that's always a broad enough term, but what are you doing to take care of your soul uh, in a world where you're constantly jumping off of cliffs and trying to teach yourself how to fly? You know, for me, the rhythmic nature of my body, like I have to keep my mind right. So for those of you who are listening, I'm I'm epileptic. I was diagnosed late in life at the age of 31. So, you know, having a mind that always races and is always speaking to itself and waking me up in the night. I don't think before I was, you know, 34 years old, I don't think I'd experienced an eight hour sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everything was very impatient in my mind. So I started to learn that music put me into a rhythmic nature that would allow me to, I hate to say the word check out, well, but it would allow me to check out and re-energize in, in kind of a dream state. Um, I also realized that, that working out, um, which so many people say, you know, the, the, just the, the getting the endorphins out, just going into the gym. It, it wasn't about the actual workout itself. It was about how I felt afterwards and, and how I felt about being able to feel good that I had that as an outlet. Yeah. Um, you know, health, obviously, the, the better I eat, the better I feel. Uh, yeah. I don't always eat healthy, but it, it's definitely a part of, of, you know, keeping myself in that in that stage of the in-between, as you discussed. Um, I think, you know, though, staying creative. I'm constantly creating new businesses in my mm-hmm. mind. I'm constantly writing them down. Sometimes I literally put them in a folder on my computer that just says new businesses, mm-hmm. and I will just delete the folder every, you know, six months. They're, they're never... Things that I'm going to put into concept, they're just there because it keeps my brain sharp. It's like a, yeah, it's just that snowball. Mm-hmm. And it's not for anybody else. That's the that's the bliss. That is a huge distinction, I think. Yes. I think people, especially people who are writing their own stuff or creating their own stuff, feel like everything that they make has to be publishable, has oh, to be something that you release. So and not so true. they get too we get too precious with it. Absolutely. I love that you delete that folder every six months. That's like that's like going out into the sand and making the Zen you know, the Zen garden yeah. or whatever. You build the thing for the explicit purpose of lo- of destroying it. Absolutely. Because we get so precious. I'm a writer and and I I get so precious about what I write that sometimes I don't write anything. Like, it's not good enough. It's not original. It's not new. If I'm going to release this, I want it to be something that blows people's mind. And so I just don't do anything. But you do the thing and then delete it every six months. Delete it because what it does is it it, it creates this element around confidence. And you, you no longer worry about the fact that you're not going to get it back. Because you yeah. aren't. I, I won't remember half the, the ideas of the businesses I create. And some people are like, well, why don't you keep that? Because I don't need to. Yeah. I know now that I can come up with an idea every day that would, that would, be, that would create money, that could make someone a millionaire. I don't need to sell those ideas. Those are for me. That keeps my internal engine running. And when I find something that I'm passionate about, I'm able to open up that capsule and put that information, that energy into what I'm doing. But yeah. it's not for anybody else. It all fills up the well. Yeah. And yeah, it doesn't always have to be for everybody else. No, that's my artistic, I guess, expression is, is that. 
Yeah. So I, Elizabeth Gilbert talks on her podcast, uh, Magic Lessons, which if you haven't listened to, by the way, you should. Magic Lessons, okay. She helps creators and artists in particular who feel stuck get unstuck. And one of the things that I hear her say over and over is don't be so precious with your work and don't feel like everything has to be something that you're going to release. It's not. Some of the stuff is just for you. That makes sense. And I love that, that you said it keeps you sharp, you know, because... When, I, when I'm in the space where I'm not creating and I'm not writing, then I have all this angst and nothing to show for it. At least if I had written the thoughts down, I might still be a little angsty, but at least I'd have a couple of notebooks full of trash or full of ideas that I didn't use but, or maybe gems. And right? that's, okay, so that's what, that's, and I think maybe you probably have to end on that tonight, but it's, that's the part where it's kind of like reverse that psychology to now think it, it's not about writing it down. You already had the thoughts. The fact that you're mad that you didn't write it down is the same thing that people go through on, I'm mad I didn't keep it. So I would work on actually being okay with the fact that it was just a part of your brain and that it was just stimulating, that the ideas, and you're just going to release them, let them go without having to write them down. If you can accomplish that battle, I guarantee you'll start writing them down because you won't care anymore. Uh, It won't become an anxious thing. Letting go of the fear of loss of the thing. Period. It's not a scarcity issue because if you're confident about your ability to recreate those thoughts, those creative ideas, you never feel the necessity to write it down anymore. Another one of my favorite teachers, Rob Bell, he talks about uh, the nature of the universe is not scarcity, it's generative. Absolutely. All of this is rigged in our favor. Absolutely. If we will make moves and if we will allow that momentum to happen, we're not, it's not a pie chart running out of slices. (laughs) Money isn't, life isn't, joy isn't. It's not a pie chart that is going to cut you out. And that's where we get stuck because we feel like there's not enough for me. That's where we are in our country right now. If you want to go really zoomed out there's not enough for me everyone else is taking my slice and so we cling and we hoard and we get stuck because our hands are full and we've got all this weight we can't move forward when really it's extremely easy in this world today to make a living it's extremely easy it's extremely easy to have enough money to have a great life to be able to travel to do some things if you just get out of your own way around what don't you have Start. You just have to begin. Absolutely. Just start. And then if you jump off a cliff and you hit the concrete, do it again. Start again. Begin again. That's the name of the thing. That's why we're here. I love it. Mike, thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I would love to have you on again. I feel like there's a lot of untapped stuff that we need to get into that there's just endless content. It's generative. We're not going to run out. I love it. Mike Walker, you are not a pie chart. You are not running out of slices. No. We're going to have him. We're going to have Walker on again and, and do some more of this. But uh, thank you guys for joining me. Mike, thank you. Where can people find you? Online? On Instagram? Tell us about your business. Yeah, plus, you can find the Real Estate Negotiation Institute just by, by Googling it. Or you can go to our website, therenny.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-N-I.com. Uh, on our site, we do have course calendars all over the country of where we offer you know, our particular negotiation seminars. And uh, my contact information is there in the website. You can also follow us on social media, the Real Estate Negotiation Institute. I try to go live on Facebook uh, once a week just to put out some content, typically about human behavior. It is normally gauged towards the real estate population, but if you're anywhere within the real estate transactions, if you're a buyer, if you're a seller, if you're commercial, if you're an investor, this is all information that's pertinent to life and, and really, you know, the strategy side of, of, of mediation and, and conflict resolution. So, um, 
yeah, you can find us there and come follow us. Come check us out. We'd love to see you at an event. Great. Anything else? Any Instagrams? You know, Instagram, uh, I do have a creative side. Um, he does. My That's Instagram handle is, uh, <laughs> is NYC Photo Sniper. Um, you can follow my journeys here in New York City and, and around the country. And I, I try to give, you know, a view of, of my world from simple snaps. Everything that you see on my Instagram account is all taken from an iPhone. So, um, yeah, follow me. NYC Photo Sniper is my handle there. And would love to would love to chat with you on Instagram. There you have it, folks. NYC Photo Sniper, Mike Walker. Thanks for having me. Thanks.